Thanks for downloading this show from PC1. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. The following program is a podcast1.com production. I'm so glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show, where we learn together to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip us off. Clark.com is the web address. ClarkDeals.com is where you find the bargains. And coming up in 20 minutes, there's an organization I kept getting calls about that people wanted to invest in and get rich. Well, turned out to be a Ponzi. Got an update for you in the Clark Rageous moment. And in a half hour, Airbnb, it is a great way potentially for you to book a family stay, but it's requires more work on your part than booking a hotel. I want to take you through some of the ways you can avoid the traps of renting somebody else's place. There's such a big push for people to buy what I call single-purpose insurance, like accident insurance or to buy uh, insurance for cancer, or to buy it for any narrow thing. Buying coverage on your TV is an example of a narrow policy. And I want to tell you that I am not ever excited by you buying something that is a narrow policy. Okay, let's take the example when... You buy an accident policy. So what it says is if you were injured in an accident, it'll pay so much money towards your bills. If you're killed in an accident, it pays a huge amount of money to your survivors. And the premiums are teensy tiny. Why? Because the risk that you're going to be injured or die in an accident because you're taking a narrow thing is small enough for the insurance company they can sell you an eye-popping size policy at a relatively small premium. The pitch for the cancer policies is, you know, one in three of us are going to have cancer at some point, and you need to insure against that. All right, so here's my thing. With you facing something that would be an accident, or you ending up with cancer, whatever. The answer is all about having good health coverage. Because you want something that covers the waterfront. But when you start buying possibility insurance, well, I might possibly be injured in an accident. I might possibly develop a cancer. I might possibly buy a flat screen TV that croaks on me. You know, you can't insure against every possibility in life. So broad coverages are much more important than narrow coverages. But the way our human brain is wired, we're much more likely to be interested in buying a narrow policy, generally because it's a cheaper decision and we get it. You know, we buy something to protect our computer and our computer dies. Oh, I have insurance for that. And so 
you only have so much money to go around every pay period and every month. And it's more important to look at the big things. Instead of worrying about buying a policy that's a cancer policy or one that covers you for an accident, odds are you likely don't have a disability insurance policy, which is a very high risk, three times higher risk during your working lifetime. You're going to end up disabled. Then you're going to die in your key working years. And speaking of which, life insurance. So few people buy life insurance now. And life insurance is so key and important for so many people. Who's it important for? Anybody who has others that would depend on them for income in the event that they had an untimely demise. And what's wonderful about life insurance now is it's so cheap to buy and so easy to buy if you buy the right kind, which for 99% of us is what's known as level term insurance. You buy a policy for an amount of money, 500000 a million, whatever, and you buy it for a period of time that you're worried about till your kids are adults or whatever, 15, 20, 30 years, or till you finish your key working years, whatever that is. So look broad, not narrow, and you will protect yourself and your loved ones a whole lot more. And you know what? If the TV croaks, all they do is get cheaper. So you just buy a new one that's cheaper, or you buy a new one that's better when it decides it's done. Steven's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Steven. Hi, how's it going? Great, thank you, Steven. What's going on with you? I'm currently in a university, a great university, good recognition. Brigham Young University is the school that I go to right now in Utah. I'm thinking about going and transferring to a smaller college because of the program that they offer. And uh, I just wanted to get your opinion as far as the difference between going to a small college and a bigger-time university, and if that's really detrimental, if I'm transferring from this wonderful university that has that recognition. Well, BYU is a unique opportunity, and Mm -hmm. it is the semi-official university of the LDS Church. Correct. And so you give up that environment. Are you LDS? I am. So it's a very special thing for you being LDS to be able to go to BYU. Mm-hmm. And so you you give some of that uniqueness and special experience up if you go somewhere else. On the other mm-hmm. hand, if you have found a place that that offers an academic program that gives you a great track to a great career, then mm-hmm. that's a different issue and may be a better choice for you. Mm-hmm. Are you thinking, think- is it a state school you're thinking of going to instead of yeah. BYU? I would actually be transferring to just a smaller college just right here in the same town where BYU is. So I feel like I would still be able to experience all the things that BYU offers as far as like sporting events and just being in the community where BYU is, um, just because I'm already sort of a part of that. And um, it would just be, yeah, it'd be in the same same town, same city. Um, it would just, you know, be going from a, you know, BYU to a smaller college. Well, a lot of people do better at a smaller college. Uh, my mm-hmm. oldest daughter started at a, a small college, and then she, by the time she was a junior, 
went the opposite path of what you and I are talking about. She was ready at that point to go to a, a big, big university. So it's really more a question of you. For you, is it that you want that more personal attention that you'd get in smaller classrooms, or is it a particular course of study, or is it a lower tuition? So yeah, it'd be a particular course of study. So that the study is nursing. So BYU has a nursing program, and unfortunately, I wasn't able to get into it. It's very hard to get into here at BYU. But you can get into it at this other school? Correct. Then go. I think that would be a great decision on your part. Okay. Because it's a great career path, and the need we're going to have for nurses, and especially for nurse practitioners, Mm -hmm. is gigantic looking forward. So what I would want to do is become a nurse anesthetist. So nursing, oh. getting a nursing degree is that starting point. And then practicing and going on and getting your master's degree in nurse, nurse anesthesia. That is great. And I have never been able to say the word successfully, nurse anesthetist. I can't say it. <laughs> yeah, but you can, you can both say it and do it, and it's a great career path. So if, you, if you're stymied doing that at BYU and you can do that at another university in Provo, go. Uh-huh. And I think think you'll have that wonderful career path in front of you. And I think that it's so neat, all the people who are seizing the opportunities that medicine is offering, and there are endless opportunities in medicine with an aging American population. Follow me at facebook.com slash clarkhoward. Our web address, Clark.com. When you got a question for me, go Clark.com slash ask. Brittany, I am so excited to talk to you. Do you know why? I'm guessing because I'm young. Yes, and you're going to ask me a question where you're going to either set what is an inspiring example or drill guilt into people who aren't motivated like you are. What do you want to do? Well, I had heard you mention you did a show about talking about investing starting at the age of 22, I think is what you said. And I had missed the show. I heard someone mention it. So I was curious what you recommended, how much to start with, where to start, those kind of details. Well, what I've talked about, I've talked about various scenarios that if you start saving when you're young, that the amount of money you have to save in order to be able to have a comfortable retirement is so much lower than as you wait. And I, I did something recently, and this may have been what you feel like you missed. It was something showing how much you had to save if you were in your 20s saving, how much you had to save if you waited till you were in your 30s, how much you'd have to wait till your 40s, and on like that. Most people, because of just life, don't get around to be where they're saving for retirement till they're in their 40s. And it's just much more painful. Starting in your 20s, if you save a dime of what you make, a dime of each dollar of what you make, you will have a very, very comfortable amount of money as you look down the decades, where someone who waits till, let's say, age 40 to have something even close to what you'd have would have to save a quarter of each dollar they make. Could be even more. I mean, you know, you get, you get older yet and... You could be talking about if you wanted to have retirement at a normal age, you might have to save 50-some-odd cents of each dollar you make. So you just make it really easy on yourself if you start saving now. Right. Now, 
I am also a business owner in a sense. My husband and I started a business about a year and a half ago. Great. I'm self-employed, so I don't really have a 401k or anything like that yet. But you can but do you can do something known as a SEP, which is a simplified employee pension, and it requires virtually no paperwork at all. The paperwork you have to fill out is half a page, takes about a minute to fill out, and then you as a business owner are allowed to save from nothing in a year to into the fifty plus thousand dollar range in a year that things go great with your business and anywhere in between. It's phenomenally flexible for a small business owner, for an entrepreneur. In addition, you and your husband can both do Roth IRAs. So your business starts making so much money that you become Roth ineligible. And you can put up to $5,500 into a Roth, which would be after-tax money that goes into that, that at your young age, it would be probably superior to start with a Roth because even though the money will have been taxed, it will grow tax-free and then ultimately be spent tax-free. Think about that. That's 40 years away. Right. So taking the tax hit up front to have the benefit all that way away of having tax-free money to spend is just great. And I have... My simplified investment guide at ClarkHoward.com that will walk you through choices of companies I like for you to look at and where I'd like for you to stash your cash at least early in your journey of saving money for the future. And all the companies I have there will also do a SEP for you if you decide to do both a Roth and a SEP. Okay. So this is great stuff. And I love your motivation and that you're already an entrepreneur. Today's Clark Rageous moment is basically a follow-up. I had so many calls over the years about something that smelled like a rat to me and turned out to run off with over $200 million of people's money. Some of them, I'm sure, were people who called me and asked me if they should be involved. Spams. Rip-offs. Outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. So Traffic Monsoon was something I kept getting calls about over the last many years. And what they did was they said, hey, they got a, a surefire way for you to make money. You can make an instant, weekly, 10% return on your money by buying what they called an ad pack. And so people would buy in, and sure enough, they'd put in money and a week later have 10% more. And then they'd put more money in and get 10% more and on like that. And more and more people would hear about it in the buzz. And I remember when people would call and ask me about it, that people wanted me to tell them it was okay, and I wouldn't. And I could tell sometimes people would, would take my advice, even though they didn't like it, and other people would say, well... I'm going to do it anyway. I mean, what do I have to lose? 200 plus million dollars is what people lost. You know, when somebody promises you an extraordinary rate of return, it's not mathematically possible. What happened in their case was they were taking money from early people. They were taking money from later people and paying it to the early people. 
And they kept doing that till they ran out of money. And as a result, hundreds of millions of dollars vanished. Know this. A very successful business will have a return on investment in a year, a net, net margin maybe of 6 to 8%. A huge success might have a 20% return per year. When somebody promises you 10% a week, that is mathematically impossible and any money you get is ill-gotten gains, but generally what happens is that most people end up with nothing. And that is Clark Rages. Okay, you're a human, which means you've done laundry some point in your life. And you know what a hassle it can be separating the laundry, preparing, doing multiple loads? It's not fun. Well, Home Depot might have a solution that makes it easy, really. They have the new Samsung Flex Wash and Flex Dry Washer and Dryer Pair. These innovative appliances are the first ever to allow you to wash two loads and dry two loads of laundry at the same time in the same machine. So when you do the laundry, you don't have to mix different colors and fabrics together and destroy your clothes. Flex Wash integrates a large capacity lower washer for everyday washes and then an additional washer for separate colors and delicates. And the Flex Dry integrates a large tumble dryer for everyday items and a flat dryer for your delicates. You wash one load, you dry one load, everything's done. And both the washer and dryer have a number of innovative features that make laundry super easy. Like the Flex Wash offers a steam wash option for removing stains and a self-clean to keep the water odor-free. And Flex Dry features multi-steam to steam away odors and wrinkles, while Sensor Dry optimizes drying temperatures to avoid damage to your clothes. It's technology you can really appreciate. And both are Wi-Fi connected, which allows you to set and start the machines and receive alerts when a load is finished. Together, the Flex Wash and Flex Dry offer the ultimate flexibility to provide the best possible care for your clothes. So get to Home Depot now and check them out. The Samsung Flex Wash and Flex Dry washer and dryer pair. Glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. You can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard, web address clark.com. And when you have a question for me, clark.com slash ask. And if you've missed an hour of our show listening to us on a station, well, you can catch up if you go listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast by going through clark.com or wherever you like to get your podcast from. We're there to serve you. Our producer, Kim, at one point was an Airbnb host and did so for two years. That's right. And you loved it so much that I think you you still have that dream someday of having your own resort hotel, don't you? I Literally, it changed my life. It made me realize how much I like being a host and showing people my town. And Sean and I have kind of developed a dream from there to one day open a small beach motel. And so being a Airbnb host or doing something on VRBO or Home Away is an opportunity for you to generate income and for you to have people in your home. Now, many times, 
on Airbnb, people will rent only a portion of their home, maybe a garage apartment, sometimes even just a room within their home. And around the world, in a few places in the United States, particularly Alaska, I've done this kind of thing where I've stayed in somebody's home. And I remember in Anchorage once, I rented a room in somebody's home. It was a great way to save money, met a wonderful couple. Uh, They were both in the Air Force, as I recall, and they were supplementing their pay as military personnel by renting out a room in their home to tourists. And so this can be a wonderful experience, and you rent somebody's whole place, a condo or house or whatever, It can be a much more affordable way on a family vacation to have everybody together in one place. You have a kitchen. You have all that. But you got to be careful when you're doing a rental because when you're renting from someone, because it's not like going to some hotel where you can just read reviews on TripAdvisor and you're like, oh, this place is great, this place isn't, like that place, like the location, whatever. You've got more work to do, or you can end up in a bad neighborhood, you could end up in a place you really don't like. And it starts with this. So generally, if you book a hotel, depending on the hotel, you've got from one day to three days to seven days, typically, before you arrive that you can cancel and not spend any money. With Airbnb, HomeAway, VRBO, a lot of the rentals require non-refundable deposits right up front. And on Airbnb, which is, I guess, become bigger than HomeAway and VRBO, you typically will lose half of your money the second you book if you decide you want to cancel. Bam, it's over if they have a strict policy. And you need to know what that policy is. And Airbnb, I love, they say, cancellation policy, strict, moderate, flexible. Pay attention to that because that property owner doesn't want to end up with a period of time that it stays empty if they use strict. And they don't care what your situation is. They're not going to care about your story. You're going to lose your money, period. Know that. And I want you to be very clear that it's a place you're going to be happy with. Read the reviews. Read them. And as I've always said with any rental in Europe, anybody who's British, which a lot of the reviews in English are going to be British, Citizens, ignore all of them. Would you see the word brilliant in a review? Ignore it. The British have the lowest standards I have ever seen on what they require of anybody staying in a place. Every place is brilliant, even if the place is falling apart. So you ignore them. Same reason why you ignore New Yorkers when they're traveling, their reviews, because they're used to living in dumpy places that are teensy tiny, so they don't count either. So you read the reviews, and you see whether or not, not how many stars a place has, you read them. 
and do a cross-reference on the neighborhood. You don't want to end up in an isolated, out-of-the-way place or, worse, a place that might be unsafe. And so if you need to cross-reference with another travel source, like, gosh, you can look at a Lonely Planet guide and check out an area of a metro before you, you book. And if there are multiples of you going, sharing a place, you want to see pictures of the beds. <laughs> we looked at one recently that we were thinking of renting as a family, and it said it had um, all these bedrooms. And then the one of the bedrooms was the size of like a porta potty. It was so small. And these beds, there was no way my family was going to do anything other than gripe about how small these beds were. Gosh, I sound like such a prima donna. Anyway, I'm trying to get through your head that this is a vacation you're going on, and where you stay should not be a burden. It should be either neutral or part of the joy of the trip. And a lot of places in the world, the place you rent may not have air conditioning at a time of year that you really would want it. Pay close attention to that. I remember my wife and I once rented an Airbnb place uh, near Nice, France, at the French Riviera. And fortunately, it wasn't hot, so we didn't need AC, but we were shocked that the place didn't have air conditioning. Who knew? So details, details, details are key. And Kim, since you were on the other side of this, anything I've missed that you think is important, we should say. Just when you're looking at prices, some people charge a cleaning fee and some people don't. It's also completely up to the host. So when you're searching around on Airbnb specifically, you can see a place for 119 and another place for 120. That place for 119 might have a $30 cleaning fee and the place for 120 might not. So when you find a place that you like, pay attention to the final price on it um, because it could be different than what you expect. And... With Airbnb, you should always pay through their platform. Anybody who wants you to pay third party, they're a scammer. And with VRBO and HomeAway, be careful how you pay. There have been any of a number of scams involving crooks from Eastern Europe who take over the email of the property owner and they will send you something falsely telling you that you're to pay them. VRBO Home Away, same owner, now offer a payment platform through them that mimics pretty much what the uh, one does on Airbnb, and you know your money will be safe paying that way. Molly, we're going to talk about something that could cause some harm to you. What is that, Molly? Oh, my husband took my kids out, bought a car, co-signed for them, and now they want to give the car back. You know, I haven't even made a payment on it yet. It's only a week and a half old. Well, you can't just give a car back. And let's take the co-signing out for a second, and then we'll go back to the co-signing. Okay. So let's just pretend for a second your husband did not co-sign. The kids go and they buy a car, new or used. Used. Used car. And the car, do you know that when you buy a car, 
that unless the dealer gives you a right to return within a certain period of time, the second you sign your name to purchase the car, it's your car. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Okay. And in fact, usually there will be a window sticker that will say car sold as is or car sold with warranty. It'll be a, a, when a used car, it'll be a white sticker with black lettering on it. And No, they hadn't even got this car in. They got it in the night before. That There was no stickers on it or anything. They hadn't even ran it through their body shop or, you know, their automotive. The kids had to take it back the next day to get the oil changed. Now, did they buy this from a um, used car lot of a new car dealer, or did they buy it from yes. a place? They bought it from the used car lot of a new car dealer. Yes. All right. And they've had the car a week and a half. What's going on with that car today that now, they want to dump it? Now it's got it's leaking oil, a lot of oil out from underneath the car. Molly, how old is this car? It's um, oh, what year was it? Oh, geez, I forgot already. Just in general terms, is it a? a it's couple? got a hundred thousand miles on it. Ooh, so this could be like yeah. an eight or nine year old car. Yes. How much did the, your husband and they agree to pay for this car? $4,000. Right. And so they didn't have the cash. So did they pay any money down or did they pay the whole yes, thing? They paid it. They had $1,000. And they financed 3000 Yes. And what interest rate are they being charged for the $3,000? 15%. On a cosign loan, they're being charged 15%? That's what they say. Wow. All right, well, I don't have anything positive to tell you here because I need to just lay the whole picture out for you. When you buy a used car, you buy it unless it comes with a warranty, which a car that old would not. You buy it with whatever problems it has. In fact, in most every state, the car salesman's allowed to lie through his or her teeth to you. And the lies that they tell you don't even matter. Because they have that protection that when you buy a used car, you buy it as is, and it's just tough. All right, so they have what may be a piece of junk. Okay. That's what you're telling me, right? Yes. And the girl that sold it to them no longer works there. In a week and a half, she's gone. Yeah, that's not a shock. Okay. You're talking about a a very uh, scary end of the car business when you start buying very old used cars, and they're in the finance business and not in the car business. The worst part is that car probably isn't worth anywhere near $4,000. Okay. And the way you would find that out is, are you or your husband or your kids any good on the Internet? Uh, My husband is. Okay. He can go on the Internet, and there's a website I'd like him to go to called Edmunds. Okay. E-D-M-U-N-D-S. Yes. Okay, so he goes to Edmunds.com, and he'll be able to see what that 100,000-mile vehicle actually is really worth. Okay. Now, if it's worth somewhere near the $4,000, what I would suggest doing is going to a mechanic and seeing what the real cause of the oil leak is. Is there a major problem with the car or a minor one? Okay. If it's a major problem, then the best thing to do would be to go back to the dealer And you're going to think I'm crazy. You ready to think I'm crazy, Molly? Yes, yes. All right. See if the dealer will take the vehicle back and kill the deal in return for forfeiting half of the $1,000. Okay. 
And if they say no, then you negotiate up from there because the most you could stand to lose is the thousand. But right. let's say the car turns out to ha- need thousands of dollars in repairs. Right. And it's really a, a junker. You can't just say, here's the car, take it back. You have to negotiate that. Okay. Now, if it turns out the repairs are minor that the car needs, your kids are going to have to pay for the repairs. The dealership is not responsible. Okay. And the kids have to pay for them, and then they need to pay for the car. Because if your kids don't pay for the car, now let's get to the other part that your husband co-signed. Yes. Do you know that he is on the hook for that full $3,000? Yes. I did know that. That's what I told him when he got home, you know, that he is more or less the buyer of the car. Oh, no, it's worse. It's worse than that, Molly. You know why it's worse? No, why? Because he doesn't get to drive the car. (laughs) He only has to pay for the car. Oh, no. Okay. So it's not... I'm not letting him out of the house anymore. I guess not. He's telling him he's never allowed to sign his name to a contract again. Okay, that sounds good. And I wish I could paint you a happier picture here, but there's not one. Okay. Well, you've helped out a lot on the, the information we did get, okay? All right. Well, Molly, have a wonderful day, and I'm just hoping, 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 knock on... We've got some real wood here. Knock on wood. I'm hoping that it turns out that the oil leak is not a sign of a terrible problem and, in fact, is, hopefully, something relatively minor. Whenever you buy a used car, please have that used car checked out by a mechanic as a condition of purchase. Because if you don't, whatever problems it has, those become your problems. Follow me at facebook.com slash clarkhoward. Our web address, Clark.com. When you got a question for me, go Clark.com slash ask. Matt's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Matt. Hi, how you doing? Great, thank you, Matt. How can I serve you? I had a question. My employer offers a Roth 401k. Uh, does it have any advantages or disadvantages compared to a Roth IRA? It is a great thing that your employer offers a Roth 401k. And the thing that would make it an advantage over a Roth IRA. There are a couple of them. One is if you work for one of the employers that offers any kind of match, Mm -hmm. then that automatically puts a Roth 401k a step up from a Roth IRA. The second big advantage of a Roth 401k over a Roth IRA is that it's automatic. Mm -hmm. The money, once you set it up, the money comes out of your paycheck every pay period and is slapped into the plan where with a Roth IRA, you have to be more active to get that account funded. There is a third advantage as well. doesn't apply to most people, may or may not to you, and that is with a a Roth IRA, you've got a cap of $5,500 you can contribute. The Roth 401k has a much, much higher contribution cap. All right, great. So where you work, are you offered a match? We are. So yep. your match goes in pre-tax. It does not go post-tax, but your your money that you're contributing is post-tax. So that's even better because it gives you later in life a pre-tax pile of money and a post-tax pile of money, which makes retirement planning a whole lot better. Does contributing to the Roth 401k limit what I can do in a Roth IRA? Only if you make big money. Okay. Yeah. Not yet. Okay. 
<laughs> Let's hope that problem comes along in your life. Yeah, I mean, we're talking big money. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks. Have a great day. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports this podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust, someone who's got your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in just minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank. Skip the waiting. Go completely online at quickenloans.com slash save. That's quickenloans.com slash S-A-V-E. Let Rocket Mortgage help you get the exact mortgage solution that you need. Go to quickenloans.com slash save. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and your wallet. I hope you learn ideas from me that will help you keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. And by the way, if you've got a question and you want to get it answered and you want to wait for an opportunity to go on the air by going to clark.com slash ask, you can get off-air advice 45 hours a week for free. This is a service of the Clark Howard Show since the very beginning of 1993. Almost 25 years ago, we've offered free off-the-air advice, and I want you to get the answers, the information you need And on Clark.com, if you move down our front page, you'll see how you get off-air advice. Coming up in a half hour, the DVR is the enemy of television networks, programmers, and all the rest because people like me skip through ads. So let me tell you what's changing in the television that you watch or in the streaming you watch to counteract what you're not doing, not watching ads. That's in 30 minutes. And right now, I want to talk about something that the word crisis is so overused. But what I'm about to talk about fits that word. The number of people in America that owe on student loans is a stunner. It is in the many, many millions. And of those, nearly 9 million people are delinquent on their student loans. New stat says roughly 3,000 people default every single day of the year, including every Saturday and Sunday, including Thanksgiving Day, Christmas Day, New Year's Day, Easter, every single day, more than 3,000 people default. The amount of student loan debt is somewhere around just under $1.5 trillion. Greater 
than the amount people owe for cars, greater than the amount of money people owe on credit cards, and only exceeded by what people owe on mortgages. So there's all that debt, collectively, individually. Why would I call it a crisis? Because people at 18, 19, 20 years old signed up for huge amounts of student loans without yet possessing the maturity to understand the consequences after school. And let me tell you, you cannot set aside student loan debt. Even bankruptcy does not set aside student loan debt. And it is a curse for people who have it. There was a story that was done by radio station WHYY that found that more and more the federal government is suing people for unpaid student loan debts and then placing liens if they own a home, placing a lien against the home as a pathway to foreclosing on that home and putting the student loan borrower out on the street. Think about that. You have student loans, you can't handle them, you have your house taken away from you and you end up homeless. I mean, this is a mess. And the student loan problem started in Washington, it needs to come to an end in Washington. And the members of the House and the Senate that hand out student loans like candy need to stop handing it out like candy and greatly restrict the borrowing that people do for college. Colleges are never going to get good at controlling their costs when an 18-year-old can borrow unlimited sums of money and pay whatever it is with borrowed money that they're then stuck with for the rest of their lives. We've got to fix this. As for people who already have student loans, federal student loans should not go into default because the repayment options available under the revised pay-as-you-earn program. All you got to do is enroll in it and your payments adjust based on your disposable income, and it will always be an amount you can afford. I promise. Don't hide from your loan debt. Jason joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jason. Hello, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. So, you just proposed? I did, yeah. It's been a lot of changes in the last few months, but... I hope the answer was Yes. Yes, it was. Okay. You didn't even hesitate. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Did you do anything elaborate? I didn't. We took a weekend trip to Indy and Chicago, but I didn't find the right time, so I waited until we got back to my house, and we were just sitting, on the back, sitting in the backyard on a hammock and proposed to her in the hammock. So it was nice and quiet, nothing, nothing too elaborate, though. So. 
Yeah, but did you still have an eardrum after she started shrieking? I did, barely, but I did. Okay. I had to get some tissues out for her crying, but it was, uh, it was pretty good. Well, congratulations to both of you. Thank you. Appreciate it. How can I be of service? Um, I have some big questions about her student loans and what I can do with my house. Um, I'm 34. I have a house that's worth about hundred grand. Uh, I have no debt. Everything's paid off. Including so, your house? Including my house, yeah. Wow. Got it paid off about a year ago, so it was a pretty exciting day. So uh, she's got probably about $250,000 in loans to pay off. Okay, you I'm, said that so deadpan like it was 20 cents. Yeah. A quarter guess, million in student loan debt? Yeah, I guess it's just something you got to deal with. So we're Is she a to... doctor, a lawyer, a dentist? What? She's a, she's a doctor. Okay, all right. Yeah. So I was had some questions about renting my house out and whether or not it's worth it to start an LLC so that any time I drive home from Detroit, so I just quit my job recently as a teacher and I'm going to move up to Detroit to be with her. So I, I wanted to see if I rent my house out. It's about a three-hour drive, like what I can do to maybe write off some of those expenses of driving home, uh, forming the LLC to try to protect myself from lawsuits. I yeah, you, well, you up. have a different reason for doing an LLC. Before you get married, you want that property in an LLC so that in the event that she hits a hiccup with paying her student loans, once you're married, you stand the risk that the home will be considered to be a marital asset and one of the student loan lenders may try to come after your home for her debt. So we could lose the house if we can't pay the right. Home. So that's a a special circumstance, and this would be a case where you definitely want to consult a real estate lawyer about uh, about the LLC and will that properly protect you. So you can do it because you own it free and clear without much hassle. Would I want to leave her name off the LLC then and just put it under my name? Absolutely. Okay. And so you want to have it as a premarital asset that is yours and your LLC. What about taking a home equity loan or a home equity line of credit off to pay off part of her loans? Because her loans are at 7%. I could get, I think my interest rate was maybe three and three quarters or 4% when I had my house. Yeah. So you could you could borrow potentially, a lender would allow you to borrow 80000 and you could okay. do that on a fixed rate loan. If you did a fifteen year loan, you could do that probably at the rate of about based on today's standards, as long as it's still owner occupied at the time you do it, at probably three point low three. Okay. Oh that'd be much better than seven. And that is a way to uh, make the debt more manageable in terms of the interest rate. Now what kind of what kind of doctor is she? She's doing a fellowship right now in nephrology. All right. Now, do you know if she's going to end up in any kind of research environment where she would be eligible for loan forgiveness after 10 years? Probably not. Okay. She's going to be in a traditional practice. Correct. So in a traditional practice, if you want to, she's going to have to pay the debt back. If you want to do something where 
you do the debt against the house, that's going to eliminate the whole LLC thing. But it's also going to eliminate anybody wanting to seize the house because there's not going to be much equity in it. Correct. So taking the home equity loan, I would completely... Wouldn't do a home equity loan because a home equity loan, the interest rate is going to be too high. Okay. So a traditional refi into a 15-year fix, you got to make sure you can handle the payments on what it would amortize at for 80000 over 15 years. I, the way you are with money, I'm sure you'll be able to handle that. Yeah, I think we'd be all right with that. And, I, paid, I think I paid mine off in about seven years, seven or eight years. That's great. And as a nephrologist, she's going to have a great revenue stream. I mean, she's going to earn well enough to be able to handle the student loan debt and the uh, new 15-year loan you might take out against your house. So best to you when you do get married. And we have an unusual situation here on the Clark Howard Show. We have both Donna and John with us at the same time. Hi, how are both of you? Hi, how are you, Clark? Great, great. So you're calling from completely different parts of the country, and you're both calling with virtually an identical question (laughs) involving kayak. Who wants to go first, Donna or John? I'll I'll be glad to go first. Okay, Donna. Okay, well, I'm planning a, a vacation in September. I'm taking my niece to Vegas. And I thought I'll try to go um, try go, going through a travel site as opposed to going direct with an airline or a hotel. And so I searched the internet and I found amazing prices. But how do I know if they're legit sites? Well, that is a great question. The one that you found, did you find it searching on kayak, or do you find it just looking around? Just looking around. And John, you found one looking for a fare on a particular website or just hunting around like Donna? No, I was on actually on kayak, and the top one that came up on their list, you know, besides the, the popular ones, um, the ones that um, are, it seems like, everyday search engines, uh, you know, to get the reviews I've never seen before. So I clicked it, and I thought, this is too good to be true. All right, so I'm the reason I wanted to talk to both of you about this is this has been a high-level concern for me for a while. There are a number of booking sites that have absolutely terrible reputations and customer no service. And the oddest thing in both of your cases is the two companies both of you have found cheap deals on are actually the same entity using different names. Oh, wow. Wow. And both of them have horrendous reputations. Wow. And so I'm especially concerned that Kayak, both on the hotel side and on the flight side, is doing referral out to these organizations that have been unmitigated disasters for consumers. So you go use a site like Kayak, or if you're just doing a search and you're looking for stuff like you did, Donna, and you end up at this supposed discount site, you end up with nothing but heartache. Yeah. And I'd encourage both of you to go read 
the Better Business Bureau report on the websites you've gone to. Okay. And one in particular I've warned people away from before is Just Fly. One of you went to that one, didn't you? Yes, that was me. I, I looked at that, and my son said, if you found that on a social media site, there's probably something wrong with it. So while we were, before dinner, we were talking about it, and he he did some research on it online just real quick, and he said, oh, Dad, look at this. This is just, this is nightmare stuff. And Donna, you went to what website? Um, I just, I just uh, started doing some searching. And what one did you find the deal on you were thinking of buying to Vegas? Um, you, uh, you're talking about the, the name of the company? Yeah. Oh, it's okay to say that then. Yeah. Uh, just fly. Just uh, fly. Just fly. Oh, same one. So both yeah. of you. We, we got yes. the same company. Oh, oh, I thought you were different ones. All right. No. So with with Just Fly, you're going to see some very interesting reading on the BBB website. Okay. And stay away. And with any hotel or air flight booking, please be very careful who you go to, who you use, because you never know what kind of trouble that's going to lead to. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thank you, Clark. Absolutely. Just moments ago, I was talking to two people from very different parts of the country that called in with the same exact question at the same time about booking air travel at UFO sites they were finding on the web. One referred from Kayak, the other just searching around. And one of them ended up at Flight Hub, the other at Just Fly. According to the Better Business Bureau, they're the same site. And the problems with them are terrible. One of the things they have as a policy is they can change the fare after you've made a reservation and after you paid. Be careful booking at a site you don't really know anywhere for hotel or airfare. This week on All of the Above with Norman Lear, Deep Star Julia Louis-Dreyfus sits down with Norman and Paul. Well, you know, there wasn't a script when I was first talking to HBO about it. There wasn't a concept. And my, my agent had said to me, listen, they're developing this thing at HBO about an unhappy vice president, an unhappy female vice president. And I thought to myself, well, I got to get in on this action because mm-hmm. it's gold and it's so amazing that nobody's done it before. Listen today on the Podcast One app or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on PodcastOne.com. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast. Glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. Clarkdeals.com is where you find the great deals to stretch every dollar. You know who's trying to stretch every dollar? Television programmers and networks, both traditional broadcast networks like ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox, and then all the cable channels that you get with pay TV or with the streaming services, and they are under a real hard time because the number of viewers in the key demographic that advertisers are looking for which is typically 18 to 49. Some shows are looking 18 to 34. But the number of people watching traditional TV is down 25% or more just in the last five years. 
is people do other things with their time. They're watching things on YouTube. They're doing who knows what, watching Netflix or any streaming kind of thing. And so advertisers are like, wait, wait, wait. You want all this money from us? And even people that are watching our shows, many of them are watching them delayed on a DVR, and then they're skipping through the commercials. Why do we want to pay you? So you're going to notice some trends. One, thanks to something known as deep data, where the research that can be done on you and me is so much greater than it used to be, according to the LA Times, every TV show pretty much now knows who is likely to watch it, what kind of cars they drive, what kind of food they eat, whether they live urban, suburban, exurban, whatever, whether they go to church or not. I mean, everything sliced and diced about you, and not you individually specifically, but able to take individual shows and figure out who's most likely to be watching and take that to advertisers and say, you know, this show has a big number of people who buy your brand of car or like driving pickup trucks or like drinking white wine or whatever it is. And so they can demo out fully who should be advertising to get more effect on that show. And the other thing that's becoming more and more prominent, I want to take you way back in time. There was a movie that was so good at predicting where we were headed, and the movie is forever ago. Joel, can you see when the Truman Show came out? It... um has that guy in it as the star who, who is the comedian? Jim does, Carrey. Yes, thank you. Does those kind of offbeat movies? Is he still opening movies anymore? Or is he retired? No, he's he hasn't done a movie in quite some time. And the Truman Show came out in ninety eight. Ninety eight. So, virtually a generation ago, this the writer of this movie had the concept of where we were going with television that product placement was going to be key. And now more and more in shows weaved into them using that same demographic data I was talking about, you may see somebody on a show that people tend to like to pop a beer while they're watching it. Beer ads are going to be essentially weaved into the programming and an actor in the show at a certain point will pop open a can of beer. Or they'll be driving a particular kind of car or truck or SUV or whatever consumer product it is. Because even if you use a DVR and you skip through the commercials, you're still going to be hit with the commercials weaved in the content. And so I don't actually have a problem with that. You may, but I don't. Because if we're going to have quality programming and going to have it available and be able to pay the writers and the people who work behind the scenes, behind camera, the actors on camera, we're going to fund all this creative programming and have all this variety of choice, it has to be paid for some way. And if you don't want to watch commercials, then product placement is how it'll happen, and that is A-OK with me, even though I don't do endorsements, I don't do commercials, I don't do any of that stuff, I understand It's got to be paid for. 
Matthew is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Matthew. Hey, how's it going, Clark? Great, thank you. You own your own business? Yes, sir, I do. Well, I'm really excited about that because I believe that you and your fellow entrepreneurs are what make this country grow, what make the economy stronger, and what create more wealth over time. That's that's the goal, anyhow. That's the plan. (laughs) And do you have a retail business, or do you sell over the web, or do you serve other businesses? What kind of industry are you in? Basically, uh, we, well, to put it simply, we're uh, kind of an excavation company and developing something. Oh, really? To be a little more specific. So do you then sell your services to uh, general contractors? Yes, sir. Okay. Ooh, that's not the easiest market to break into, is it? It's not. It's taken me quite a while to break into it at the, at the level we are. You know, we've been, you, you know, you got to crawl before you walk, and we've probably crawled and stood up and got back down on our knees a couple times. So, uh, it's, you know, it takes time, I guess, to get a clientele, and, uh, and the biggest thing is uh, collecting equipment to do so. And in terms of years, how many years have you operated your own company? A little over 10 years. We're going on 12, I believe, this year, between 12 and 13 years. Well, all i got to say to you is that if you started that business 10 or 12 years ago and you survived the real estate depression, you were running a good business, and the well, future is very promising for you. I, I'd like to think so. You know, we uh, they say what don't kill you makes you stronger. We ought to be pretty tough by now. We, Absolutely. My first day in business on my own was November 2005. So we got just a taste of what it could be, and then the doors all started slamming shut (laughs) shortly after. Well, how can I be of service? Well, what we we basically we've been working for some uh, some individual doing work for some uh, landowners and developers and whatnot, and uh, we worked into a situation where we were able to take on the amount of work we wanted to do. And uh, as with a lot of people, you know, you got to have that equipment to do it. And uh, it's kind of like uh, you have the opportunity. You don't tell them, well, no, or maybe you just pull, the, you know, you just uh, jump out and do what you got to do to start working. And, and for our situation, it involved renting quite a large amount of equipment. And uh, I guess the question I have for you is, um, you know, to get funding, you know, you could go buy new equipment, which would be in the millions of dollars, you know, or you can buy some really fine, well-maintained used equipment that's a quarter of that. But the problem is financing on used equipment, interest rates are unreal, and then you're left with uh, small business loans or like a, maybe a uh, credit line. Yeah, and, and those can carry high rates. So tell me, the machines that you need to buy, how much do they cost? They vary from, uh, you know, new um, $325,000 to, you know, down to some of the used equipment, pretty much the same equipment, you know, uh, anywhere from sixty-five to 85000 And how long, if you own your own equipment instead of renting it, how long would it take you to pay that equipment off versus what you're paying renting it for each job? If I were to take the rental and put it toward paying it off, it would probably be, you know, uh, less, you know, less than five years. 
for okay, sure. but you need money for a, a meaningful period of time. Right. So, right. so. you. Uh, I, the reason I was asking all those questions is I was trying to get how expensive the equipment is and how long it would take to pay it off. And that is a missing link in business financing yeah. that you addressed right there. And so when you need an equipment loan, sometimes if a dealer takes, uh, an industrial equipment dealer takes uh, something in in trade and they're remarketing it, they will have financing that they uh, that they are offering. They don't make the loan, but they are offering it that'll carry a pretty high interest rate but yeah. lower than you could probably get getting a loan at a bank. Yeah, they're typically, they, they do beat the banks. Uh, you know, one of the things that's real popular in this, this type of equipment, you know, if it's, if it's older than two or three years, it, they, everybody likes to do like a, it basically works out like a lease almost. Um, you know, the interest rate's high, there's penalties to pay off early. You can pay, you know, you will pay it off and you can do five-year programs with that, but it, it just it adds a bunch of additional costs, right? And uh, you know, where we were thinking, what we were thinking is, uh, you know, I, I was thinking of a, you know, that seemed like maybe a uh, line of credit, you know, of a certain, you know, respectable amount, you know, that would be, uh, I guess, uh, reasonable. Well, you know, if you nice. the way if you're going to try to get that kind of thing done, you need to go meet with the president of a one-office or two-office local bank. Gotcha. And how much cash do you have you can put into the deal? Because the banks aren't going to be interested in financing 100% right. of one of these machines. Which that also kind of leads into my, my second question for you. But the, what I would like to do is uh, maybe do uh, 20% cash down on, on the amount that I'd like to, to borrow. You if know, you can, If you can do that... I think with a, a local bank making decisions, I think you can pull that off. Very cool. And then, you know, that's uh, that's that's where I was hoping to get to. And and let me say this to you. Be aware that a lot of times something will look like a local bank that's not. So, you know, be using a, a name may have been a true local bank. You want to make sure you're really dealing with the decision makers in that main office you walk into, that it doesn't have to go to some regional authority, that the that the loan committee right there in that office or the president in that bank can say, yes, we want to do business with you. Here are our terms and conditions, and we want to grow with you. That's the core and the key to solving what's a difficult puzzle for this equipment purchase you want to do. And I want to wish you the best and continued success and growing your business, Matthew. Glenda's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Glenda. Hi, Clark. Thank you so much for taking my call. My pleasure. You are about to be an empty nester. Yes, I am. I'm excited. All right. So what does that lead you to thinking you should be up to? Well, what I like to do is to move. I've always wanted to move to a different city. And because um, I've lived in the same area for an extremely long period of time, 
And are you going to sell your existing home when you move? Well, that's what I, that was another thought, too. Um, I said, should I buy, you know, rent? If I move within, the thought came to mind, should I sell my existing home or should I rent it? I don't know. I was thinking, well, if I move someplace else, could I possibly get cheaper rent? And plus now I pay like $1,200 a year in homeowner fees. And Is um, the market so good right now to sell your home where you are? The market is good to sell, but as far as buy-in, you know, the prices have really started to go up. Sure, it's sure. Good. So the yeah. advantage is there's a one-time built-in uh, amount you can make selling that home and going somewhere else. I would say since you've always lived in one area and you want to go explore elsewhere, 100% you want to be a renter elsewhere. Okay. Now, you could hedge your bets, and you could decide to rent your home for a year before you would choose to sell it. And that way, if you go somewhere else, you try a couple of places, you think, what was I thinking? I miss my hometown. You could then go back to your home. But if you never really want to live in that home again, even if you circle back to where you're from, since the market's strong, go ahead and sell it. Okay. But wherever you go at first, because you're going to experiment in a new phase of your life, rent. Okay. And wait a while, and if you and you feel like, this is where I want to live the rest of my life in whatever this town is or area you've gone to, then later on you got plenty of time to buy. Okay. That makes sense, then. Well, and I love this. I'm so excited for you that you have this freedom to go wherever you want. Doesn't it feel great? It does. Yeah, that is a special, wonderful opportunity. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com, and then Joel asks your question for you. What you got? Yeah, Clark Grace wrote in, what are the pros and cons of buying prepaid burial expenses via your life insurance policy? Yuck. Yuck. What's the pro? Oh, I'm trying to think. I'm not sure there's any pro. Ties you into a particular funeral home. Burial policies are usually extremely expensive. And I would much rather you arrange in advance what you want to have for a funeral through your nonprofit local funeral and memorial society. You can learn about those at funerals.org. And way lower the cost of what your funeral would be anyway and have your life insurance for the benefit of your survivors so they have that money to live on you know the average person may have a a funeral cost that could approach ten thousand typically if you in one of these funeral co-ops you end up with a cost one-fourth of what a typical funeral would be All right, and Anand says, I have my 401k holding with one of your favorite low-cost companies. I noticed, however, that in their target retirement fund, uh, they have 5% of their portfolio in cash holdings. What's the point of that? It seems counterintuitive. What a great question. So in a retirement plan, if you choose a target retirement fund, you put 100% of your money in the target retirement fund. You don't put part of it and then the rest of it in other investments because you're counting on them to properly manage the risk level. So having some cash in there 
is likely because the managers believe that stocks are overvalued and they're keeping what they call some powder dry. They're keeping some cash available that if there is a correction in the stock market, they're able to jump in with that 5% cash and buy some things equivalent of on sale. And it's part of the strategy about how you manage a fund like that. Appreciate your question. Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Here's an interesting fact for you. There are nearly one million new books published in the U.S. alone every year. One million. So if you like to read, how do you choose what you're going to read? Well, that's where Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews comes in. You see, Kirkus has been one of the top book review publications for over 80 years. They do a deep dive on thousands of titles every year, including interviewing best-selling authors and telling you what might be the hot new release before everyone else knows. So figure out what your next read is going to be. Download Fully Booked right now on the Podcast One app at Apple Podcasts or at PodcastOne.com. What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. But the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbour of the alleged bomber. The actual family that had been there, I'd I'd never really come across them in bad ways it was always even when I said hello he never seemed to speak back to you he was just like kept themselves to themselves and that was about it the British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican I'm Rita Foley <laughs> 